Today's guest is author John B. Rosenman. John was an English professor at Norfolk State University, where he designed and taught a course in how to write science fiction and fantasy. He is a former chairman of the board of the Horror Writers Association and has published 250 stories in places such as Weird Tales, Whitley Stryver's Aliens, Fangoria, Galaxy, Endless Apocalypse, The Age of Wonders, and the Hot Blood Erotic Horror series. John has published two dozen books, including science fiction action-adventure novels such as Beyond Those Distant Stars, Speaker of the Shock, A Senseless Act of Beauty, Alien Dreams, and The Inspector of the Cross series. He has also published a four-book box set, The Amazing Worlds of John B. Rosenman. In addition, he has published two mainstream novels, The Best Laugh Last and The Young Adult, The Merry-Go-Round Man. Recently, he completed a science fiction novel, Dreamfarer, which is the first in a new series. Two of John's major themes are the endless, mind-stretching wonders of the universe and the limitless possibilities of transformation, sexual, cosmic, and otherwise. John, what made you want to live a more creative life? My first inclination is to say, well, heck, it just came naturally to me. And sometimes I love the challenge. I just love to write. Ever since I was a small kid, I loved to scribble. But then I recall that, uh, you know, when I was a little kid, my father gave me a book called Men of Iron about knighthood. And I loved it. Later on, my sister's fiance gave me a year's subscription to amazing science fiction, and I caught the science fiction bug. Later on, an older friend of mine introduced me to Ray Bradbury and Richard Matheson, you know, um, The Martian Chronicles, uh, The Amazing uh, Shrinking Man. So I love to do it. I, I was a little kid, I used to just scribble uh, made cartoon panels, then I'd lie in the dark, and we had the radio, and I'd listen to The Thin Man and The Shadow Nose. All this combined together in a mix, both I think my natural inclination and outside influences made me want to write. When I was, I just turned 12, Ellen, I was sitting in a theater watching The War of the Worlds, and when the cylinder opened, the Martian, Martian cylinder began to open, and those three men walked toward them, toward the, the cylinder. I knew they were going to die. I was frightened to death, and yet I loved it at the same time. I think all of this contributed to my desire to write, and I guess today to keep on writing. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's a great question. Do you plan your projects in detail or go with the flow? And why did you make that your process? You know, I'm a pantser. Uh, we have plotters and pantsers. And I think by inclination, I'm a pantser. I like to go with the flow by uh, on the moment, on the spur of the moment inspiration. That's just the way I like to do it. 
it's it seems to be natural to me. And one thing I really do not like to do is to write outlines, you know, the plot out. I was just talking to somebody who's doing promotion for me. And he likes to write 50 page outlines. The only outline I ever did, serious outline, was for my novel Speaker of the Shack. And I actually plotted that novel out. That one I really did. But then when I, I didn't particularly like doing it, but I did it. It helped the novel, but as I wrote the novel, I changed a lot anyway. So uh, I like to make it up on the fly. Um, it's more exciting and interesting to me that way. And I think that's just the way I like to do it. At the moment, do you have another job? And if so, what are the pluses and minuses about that? Well, actually I don't. I'm, uh, I'll be 80 years old in April. And I retired as a full professor of English nearly 10 years ago from Norfolk State University, one of this country's uh, major, uh, foremost historically black universities. Now, when I had my job, um, it was both helpful to my writing and hurtful. Helpful because uh, it supported me and because there were activities at work that fed into my writing. For example, I'm, I love science fiction and fantasy. So I, at one point I sponsored or um, I created, set in motion, whatever you, words you wish to use, a conference in sci science fiction, fantasy and horror. And, and one writer I, I really admired was Octavia E. Butler, the first perhaps the first commercially successful black female science fiction writer. And hey, I actually got her to come. Oh, I and I drove, I drove oh, I her around in my car. She was my hero. Um, and, that, and that way it really helped. And, and I designed a course on how to write science fiction and fantasy, creative writing. I like to teach creative writing. And hey, I got to teach it and I got to edit the, the literary magazine and uh, create a book, uh, a textbook, which I edited for world literature. So in a lot of ways it helped, but it took up a lot of time because I took my job in some ways too seriously. I loved, if a student gave me a paper, I read the darn thing and marked it up. Um, but it was time consuming and exhausting. So it was, both a help and a hindrance, my job. Uh, I think main, mainly it was a help though. I'm glad I did it. No, I think having that sort of passion, I think especially the science fiction and fantasy world can be so welcoming as far as authors talking with each other and talking with people who are interested in new people and conventions. Yes. And yes. Our local mm -hmm. convention is Bubanacon in New Mexico and I don't I've, yeah I've heard of it I think we're at like year 55 or something and it is amazing the people that Walter John Williams and Melinda Snodgrass and George R. R. Martin and Ian Tregellis and I mean we just have a whole lot of folks in New Mexico that just write science fiction and love it and love to talk about it and we'll talk about it um all night yes. long sometimes I used to go to several cons. Uh, we had a local one called SciCon. And we used to roam around looking for the perfect party. 
and uh, trying to get on this or that panel. And I, at some of the cons I've been to, I've talked to uh, some of my heroes and saw them uh, in very informal settings. And we had a lot of fun. One time we were driving out and uh, we saw, I forget the, I think it was one of the, I'm trying to remember the con, I can't quite remember it. And we ran across this famous writer, uh, I can't quite call his name, and we stopped and said, hey, Stephen King. <laughs> and we got a big laugh out of that, he did too. What is something no one else knows about you that you wish other people knew and appreciated? Mm. Mm. Getting personal now, let me see. Um, I guess one thing as a writer, I'd, I'd like people to have more of a sense of what I sacrifice, what I put into it, the cost. In a lot of ways, it's wonderful, but it has a downside as well. Um, you have, I have doubts and insecurities concerning it. Uh, just now, I was told by one of my friends at the beginning of a novel that I've just begun doesn't work. And that can be crushing. So there is definitely a down or dark side to being a writer. You have to be strong. Um, I'd also like folks to know a little bit of what it feels like to get a new story idea. It's that you really like, you want to explore. It can be very, very addictive. And unlike any other experience, that I can think of in life. Now, both of these, the plus and the minus, the pro and the con, relate to being a writer. Um, and being a writer sometimes, well, quite often, um, insulates you from others, isolates you from others, because you are different. And uh, perhaps it would take another writer to really fully understand what being different in that way involves. So that's what I'd like others, others to know. Um, sometimes I, I might mention personal experiences get into my fiction, either, pro either retroactively or otherwise. For example, I once wrote a story called The Blue of Her Hair about the goat of her eyes. The, goat, the blue of her hair the goat of her eyes about a woman who contracts a mysterious deadly disease that people fear and loathe and they shun her. And yet we don't know what that disease is. Um, the story won uh, uh, a Reader's Poll Award for Predators and Editors about 2011. And then a few years later, I came down with a mysterious disease myself. So in my case, uh, life imitated art. So in some ways, in various ways, your personal life interacts with your fiction in ways that you never expect. What are your favorite inspiration prompts, productivity tools, or creative routines? You know, I used to go to a local Barnes and Noble. Uh, short story ideas used to come more easily to me. And I just walk around and I would glimpse something, see something, and unexpectedly an idea would leap for a short story would leap into my head. 
practically full blown, like Athena, I think, from Zeus's head. Uh, one day, one time I saw a book called The Calm Technique. And suddenly I had an idea for a story called The Death Technique, in which a man had this unusual ability to decompose and appear to be dead, just at will. I wrote the story and uh, made about $300 from it. So that was just, uh, the whole store was a kind of uh, inspiration prompt. It was on the spur of the moment. I mentioned before, I think, that I'm a pantser. So, uh, and now I have a beta reader. She's a retired professor like me. Um, and she helps me along. Sometimes one thing that will prompt me will be this particular market has this or that theme. And hey, I'll take a whack at it. Maybe I'll take a story that I published before and revise it. For example, with Flame Tree Press, I've done this. They uh, have had uh, anthologies with various themes. I've sold a couple there. I just took out a story that I'd published or written 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, and I tweaked it and polished it and sent it out. Uh, they also have uh, a newsletter, which has uh, short flash fiction themes of one kind or another. And uh, I write stories for that. My, I, my percentage so far is about 50-50. So sometimes market themes are inspiration prompts too. Okay, productivity tools. And you're using a bad word for me, organization. I don't organize too much. I'm, I'm very pretty fluid. I do have uh, a computer and uh, I do organize my, my files on it and so on. Uh, they help me a lot. Well, right now, for example, in promotion, I've been asked to send uh, material for a press release, press releases. So I'm gonna have to put all those files, all my novel covers and short story covers into a, uh, a folder and send it to this woman who's gonna organize it. So I guess you can call it, that's a productivity tool. Um, I have a website I designed and now I had it designed by someone else. I have a blog. Um, yeah, so I've had it join the modern age. Um, although I'm still playing catch up in various areas. So I've recently discovered a new tool, and that is Zoom. I used it, I taught a class using Zoom. Uh, I was a co-host for, uh, for members of the Northern Ontario Writers Organization. And uh, I used it to teach the hook, the opening title, opening sentence, opening paragraphs, to a group of about 14 or 15 writers. Internet and technology have opened up new vistas for me, new possibilities. I don't have much of routine. Sometimes I joke, routine, what's that? I sit down and I write. And I do it often enough, usually every day. Once I get excited by an idea, I keep on writing until I finish. And then I revise it. And then if I've asked for more revisions, I revise it again. I used to be in a writer's group for 20 years and my routine was to bring a, a short story or a novel chapter to them every two weeks. And uh, 
revise it that way. And then maybe if I, there were still problems with the story or chapter, I'd bring it back. But otherwise, I, as I said before, I'm a pantser. I rely fairly heavily on inspiration. It used to be just a casual word or glance would ignite a story idea in my head, but now I have to strike, force it a little bit more. I have to uh, will myself to do it. And uh, that happens as you get older. So I could talk about that question all, all day, I think. I have written stories about the most fanciful things. Years and years ago, a word popped into my head. A word you won't find in the dictionary. It is dream fair. D-R-E-A-M-F-A-R-E-R. -E -E I just like the sound of the word. You know, you have seafarer, you have wayfarer. Why not a dream fair? Well, what is a dream fair? It's somebody who travels or experiences fabulous adventures and dreams. So from that one dream, I concocted a future world, 150 years in the future, where at the age of 32, you have the option of being interfaced with, in dream machines and having the dreams of your life, of your, have the dreams that you always wanted for the rest of your life. The only trouble is you lie there as a vegetable. And that raises the question, is it better to live life that way enjoying the most wonderful dreams possible or just be alive in the real world. And I, I just took off with that and uh, I've just recently completed the second novel in that series uh, for Crossroad Press. So uh, I guess that's an inspiration prompt as well. One single word. What three things do you wish you had known earlier in your creative journey? I'll tell you, this creative journey has had a lot of uh, holes and hills in its path. Um, one thing, I guess, is that rejection is painful, and you will get a lot of it. I have one poem, just a short little poem, Ellen. It was rejected 49 times. You think I would give up. It hurt to have it rejected so often, but I kept going and the 50th time it was accepted. But I've had stories rejected dozens of times, novels rejected dozens of times, and it is painful. It hurts. That's one thing I wish I'd known. Somebody should have warned me. It's not easy. Uh, and I guess number two is how difficult writing is sometimes. It's a lifetime commitment in addition to the endless rejections. Um, it's not easy. You know, if you, I don't recall ever seeing in a movie or in a video, the creative process being shown in, in a dramatic way that's truly effective. You can do that with uh, an athlete, a boxer, like I love boxing, you can do that. But how do you make the act of creation, literary creation in particular, exciting and dramatic? Because it's all interior. It's felt in the soul and the spirit. It's not external. Um, so that's one thing 
that uh, you have to know about writing. It's, it's not really glamorous. It is glamorous if you win a lot of prizes and you become very rich and famous and hobnob with, the, with movie stars and the like. Otherwise, on the surface, it's, you're unseen and it's not theatrical or dramatic at all. Writing is often, for the most part, a solitary activity. You live a monastic life. You're solitary. You uh, have to apply the seat of your pants or your skirt to a chair, usually, and write. Close the door and write. And I've sometimes been criticized by my wife as isolating myself too much, closing the door and just typing away at the computer. So those are the three things I've had to discover about writing. I really didn't know them when I know them when I set off, set off at the set out at the beginning. What project or message do you want to tell listeners about today? Yeah, I'd I'd like to tell like everybody who's listening out there about my latest series. Uh, it's not published yet, but I think I've already told you a little bit about it. It's the Dream Fair series, which stems from that one word which uh, apparently has uh, inspired a series that may, may last me the rest of my life to explore. That involves a world of dream machines divided between people who dream wonderful dreams and those who are awake. And what happens to those who wake up and can't go back to uh, paradise? But I'd also like to mention my Inspector of the Cross series, it's now, it's a science fiction adventure series consisting of six books so far. And it involves a future where humanity, the human race has been invaded by remorseless, emotionless, rapacious aliens called the Chen who seek to conquer humanity. And uh, the war has been going on for 5,000 years and folks, it's not going well for homo sapiens. They've almost crushed us. But there is one hero, an inspector of the cross, who travels from in suspended animation, he's nearly 4,000 years old, from star to star, searching for a device or weapon that can be used against the enemy. And if humanity has any hope at all, it's this one elite agent or inspector. And in the first novel in the series, Inspector of the Cross, he uh, discovers a scientific device that may save the human race. Only he's betrayed at the last moment and it's snatched away from him and he's almost killed. The hero's named Turton. He's nearly 4,000 years old, as I mentioned, because he travels in suspended animation. And at one point in the first novel, he meets his great, 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 great grandson who is an old man, and Turton himself is still only about 40. So it's called The Inspector of the Cross. I encourage you, anyone, to look it up. It's available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon and in other vendors. And if you have any comments, please email me at jroseman at cox.net. I'll leave out the end and visit my website at www.johnroseman.com. Thank you so much for being on the show today. 
Ellen, thank you in return. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Pants On or Off, all about creators and the creative process. If you'd like to suggest a guest for a future show, please drop by ellenwynbooks.com forward slash guests. Now, go out there and make something fantastic. <laughs>